Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of 2 Timothy 6 and verse number 6. Amen. And I'm going to read verses 6, 7, and 8. And I'm going to ask you to resist disengaging when I read my text. I'm not going to be messing with your toys tonight. So just resist disengaging and say, you know what, I'm just here to the bitter end. Yes. And uh, well, I hope the end's not bitter. But I'm just here to the end and uh, let the Spirit of God speak to us. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 6, the Bible says... But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And Paul says, now having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Amen. And I want to just preach to you tonight, talk about the power of, of contentment, something happens in the heart of an individual when we allow the spirit of contentment to touch our hearts. I'm going to do the best I can with the help of the Lord to try to touch as broad, uh, as broad as broadly as I can this evening. I may leave a couple of things to question, but I'm going to, with the help of the Lord, I want to just do as as good a job as I can as helping us to understand the difference between striving for betterment but letting the spirit of contentment also dwell in our heart. I think there is a difference. Amen. You can be seated. Let's just join together uh, in this journey. The spirit, I believe the spirit of contentment seems to be a dying ember in the society that we live in. Publishing tycoon Malcolm Forbes is credited with saying, he who dies with the most toys wins. And so that just seems to be the concept, the mentality of the world in general and certainly the society in which we live. But in sharp contrast to that lives the, self, the, the self-indulgent uh, people of our world that are wanting more and more, more and more. And, you know, you can no sooner get something, the latest and greatest home, until there's something even greater out. And, uh, you know, it's been stated humorously, I think, the attempt many times, but it is, it is very true. You can buy a brand-new computer and get it home, and the first thing you got to do is update it. And you just broke the seal on it. And uh, that's the very first thing. It went out of date on the way home. And uh, so you got to update those things. And so, uh, but in, in sharp contrast to the lives of people, uh, the self-indulgent people of our world is a simple and yet remarkable example of the Apostle Paul. When he became a disciple of the Lord, if you study his life, when he became a disciple of the Lord, he suffered incredible loss, personal 
loss. Um, but his perspective on what he lost was clear. He wasn't in denial, pretending that he never had it to begin with. He was very clear, abundantly clear about what he lost. And then he lists for us in Philippians 3 some of those things. Um, they're not just supposed gifts or they're not just vapors of maybes or hope so's. But he said of himself that he was of the stock of Israel and that he was of the tribe of Benjamin and that he was the Hebrew of the Hebrews. And all of those things were true. And so he had tremendous credentials. Uh, credentials. He had uh, a tremendous pedigree. And then Paul addresses his opinion now about those privileges of his life. He said, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Then he went on to say, I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And so he wasn't denying that he lost anything, but he said that that I lost, and then he named what he lost. He said that that I lost, I count that as nothing that I may be where I am in the Lord. And I believe that one of the benefits that we should discover in serving the Lord, one of the wonderful benefits that should come with that is the spirit of contentment. Now, the contentment at its most base definition is just a satisfied state of mind. Now that's not to say that we shouldn't strive to better ourselves and that we should just let our personal world fall apart because we're just trying to be content and be godly and things of that nature. A number of years ago in another state, so don't try to figure out who or when or what, um, I was visiting someone and I, they had their home was, uh, the road out in front of their house was a little higher than their house. Their driveway went down as, and as such. And when it was built, there was an open one single car garage, uh, carport on the end of their house. And um, in front of that, a little utility room. You've probably seen many, many footprints of similar houses. Over the years, they closed in that little carport and made a sitting area, a little family room of sorts. It had been raining horrendously. I mean, just flooding. And uh, so when I pulled in and I walked in their house, the man that I was visiting was sitting in a rocking chair and he was watching the television and, and water just squeezed up over my shoes out of the carpet. And I was like, what in the world is going on? I thought it was news. <laughs> I thought it was newsworthy as a matter of fact. I, your whole house is flooded. And he's just sitting in that rocking chair and he's just watching the television. And he said, yep, I got to get around fixing that. And so just by the definition and the layout of what they did, all the water coming from the rain down the drive just filled what used to be the carport, but now it's your house. And so there is a difference between having a satisfied state of mind and saying, yep, I'm going to get around to that. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about this evening. Amen. We can't settle for status quo. I don't think that we should ever stop pressing this same man that writes this to us also talks about pressing and reaching and, and, and pushing himself toward a goal that is in the Lord. And so uh, I believe there's a difference between betterment and, and, and the spirit of discontentment and we have to guard against the spirit of discontentment. And there's many things that can work against being content and one of those of course can be unfulfilled expectations. 
And I think to some degree that everyone deals with a measure of unfulfilled expectations. We may have assumed that at this point in life, wherever you are in life, that things would be different. You would be further along or that the dynamics of your life would be, would be much different. And in the atmosphere of unfulfilled expectations, the spirit of discontentment can move in and set up camp. Amen. It's okay. You don't have to run the aisles, but it's still true. That that is the ideal atmosphere for a spirit of discontentment to reach in and play and make havoc in our lives. I heard someone recently talking about someone else, not in the spirit of, uh, of gossip or anything of that nature, but uh, they made an observation, and that I was reminded of that today just in, in, in thought. And, and this person is just constantly on the go, always moving, moving, moving. And, and someone said, you know, I'm, it's not so much that I think they're running from something. It's, it's as, much that, as much as it is that I feel they're in search of something. And uh, quite an observation because we can find ourselves always in search of something if we don't have the spirit of contentment. It seems the more that people have, the more they want. Years ago, I heard of a sermon. I didn't really hear the message, but I heard of a sermon by Brother Joe Osborne. And the title of the message seems to capture it all. He said the title was, "When When Too Much Is Never Enough. And that just kind of defines some of the world in which we live today. When too much is never enough, that describes well the backdrop of which we live our lives daily. However, in the Bible, we're able, the Bible teaches us that we are able to be content with the things that we have. In 1 Timothy 6 and 8, Paul said, having food and raiment, if we have food and clothing. Last year alone, there were, there were uh, some uh, 30, 28 million people in America in America that were uh, without food. And many of them, if they were without food, they were without adequate and proper clothing. And so Paul said, just having food and raiment, if you are able to eat and you have clothes on your back, we need to find the spirit of contentment just in that. When the children of Israel were marching into the promised land, the land of Canaan, Jericho was their very first conquest. And so they had very specific marching orders. They were to destroy everything. The only exception was Rahab the harlot and her house, those that were in her house. Everything else had to die and nothing could be taken for personal gain. All of the vessels of gold and brass and iron were to be brought back and put into the treasury of the Lord. Those were the things to be saved. And so on the day that was specified and as instructed, Israel marched around the city seven times. They blew the trumpets. They shouted with a loud voice. Miraculously, the walls fell flat and the men of Israel rushed the city. And the end result was a swift and stunning victory for the children of Israel. Everyone in Jericho died with the exception of Rahab and her family. The city was burned with fire. All the gold, the silver and brass and the iron were consecrated to the Lord. And if we could just somehow stop everything right there, this should have been a happy ending, at least for the people of God. This should have been a happy ending, but that was not the case because of a man named Achan. Achan took that which was forbidden because he saw something that he coveted and that spirit of discontentment in his heart 
dislodged the will of God from his life and he followed after that. In Joshua 7 and 20, the Bible says, and Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and thus and thus have I done. And when I saw among the spoils uh, of the, a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, he said, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. And so this was a very serious matter in the eyes of God, in the eyes of Joshua. The penalty for Achan and his family was capital punishment and it served as a solemn lesson for everybody that was involved. The lack of contentment, as I mentioned a moment ago, gives room for that spirit of covetousness to grow in our mind and our heart. It creates the perfect atmosphere in which the spirit of discontentment can take place. And so if Achan had just somehow been content with what he had, when he saw what was there, it would have weighed nothing to him. It would have mattered nothing to him and he would not have coveted the things that didn't belong to him. The commandment was clear, thou shalt not covet. That was the commandment that was given to Israel. And so Achan had to ignore two commandments on this day. He had to ignore the commandment found in Exodus 20 and 17, but he also had to ignore the, the commandment that Joshua had given that we're going in and we're gonna spare Rahab and her family and we're gonna take everything of value, the precious metals, and we're gonna put that in the treasury of the Lord. This was not a long convoluted contract. This was pretty straightforward. We're going to do this, we're going to spare that, and we're going to preserve this for God. And so he had two commandments that he had to step over. The writer of Hebrews addressed covetousness and contentment in just one single sentence in, in Hebrews 13 and 5. He said, let your conversation, the word conversation in the King James Version in the New Testament means conduct. And so he said, let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Now, among why Paul was writing this and, and why it is still relative for us today is this. Among the Pharisees and the Sadducees, there was a strong pursuit of wealth. And the reason for that was because it, if you had that, that pursuit of wealth and if you could gain wealth, Wealth was the perception of being blessed. And so the wealthier you were, the mindset, then you must be really blessed of God. God must really be a, a, have favor upon your life. And so in the early church, some materialistic people claimed that gain was godliness. The more I have, the more godly I am or the more God is with me because of stuff or the things that I have. And of course, things of this nature can still be seen in our world today. Some people are very concerned with the look of success or the attitude of success. You know, you've heard people say you need to fake it until you make it and things of that nature. It can all be a house of cards. It can all be a facade. As long as the guy down the road thinks you've got it, then you've got it. But you see what really matters is the truth of the matter not when the veil falls when when the curtain is removed and so I, I found it interesting to note that 77 percent I'll be careful here but 77 percent of all BMWs on the road today are leased 
and uh, you can Google that later. But uh, now there's nothing wrong with leasing the vehicle. That that seems to work well in some cases. But the but the census is this that uh, th this is to leave people with the impression that I've got it. I, I've got it all together. There's there's a statement that's made when you're sitting in a traffic light and you're driving a certain vehicle, or there's a statement made when you're wearing this or wearing that. I've, I've been in crowds before where people actually walked up to me and turned my tie around to see what brand it was. It's like, what brand is it? I don't know. It matched, and my wife said, wear it. <laughs> what brand is it? Wear it. And uh, that's that's the brand. And uh, very conscientious about those things. And, and um when in fact it, it can all just be smoke and mirrors. It can, it can not even matter. In the Jewish culture, wealth was considered a sign of blessings. And so they were striving for, I got to get, 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 because that's going to leave everybody else with the impression that I am blessed. So the more money you accumulated, the more blessings you supposedly had. Therefore, an effort to appear favored of God because of that, they coveted money and more money and things and more things because they wanted everybody else to believe that the favor of God was upon their life. And they substitute in that process, and we can do the very same thing. We can substitute in that process the symbols for blessing for the substance of blessing. Because there are people in this world that may not have a lot of worldly goods that are highly favored of God. They are very blessed of God. Amen. The hand of God is upon them. And when they kneel in prayer, they have the ear of God and the attention of heaven. And so we can't just say he with the most toys wins. That's not how God operate, operates. And so uh, this materialistic motive actually became a proverb of sorts. That if you were wealthy, then you were blessed. And so social classes then became the norm of the society of the New Testament church. My point is this, that Paul wasn't writing this letter because he didn't have anything else to do that day. He was addressing a real issue that existed in that culture. And I suggest to you today, and I think you would agree, that it exists today. It exists today. So he goes straight to the heart of the matter and that was the classic battle of covetousness versus contentment. And in that same passage, Paul would warn this. He would say, the love of money is the root of all evil. And uh, not money is evil, but the love of money that can get into the hearts of people. And often the love of money or the love of things can cause people to do a lot of shady stuff. Amen. And so we got to be very, very careful that we don't sacrifice our integrity trying to reach for more because it is not worth it. It can become bags of money with holes in them. <laughs> I want God to bless whatever it is that I have because you can have more and God's hand be against it and at the end of the day, it won't be more. And you can have less and the hand of God be upon it. And I promise you, it will be more than you could ever dare imagine. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul lists the consequences of those who covet. He, he says that they fall into temptation and snare. In verse number 9, he lists several things. They fall into many foolish and hurtful lusts. They drown in destruction and perdition. And then in verse, nine, in verse number 10, he says they can err from the faith and they pierce them through themselves through with many sorrows. And so sometimes we can bring things into our life that actually cause us grief that we really thought were going to be a blessing. 
Amen. You could remain seated. We've been there, haven't we? We've got things and we thought, man, this is going to be the cure-all, end-all, fix-all, only to find out that it brought with it its own set of issues and problems. And so gain is not godliness. And then Paul, Paul really did state what true gain is. He said godliness with contentment. Now that's gain. That's real gain. That's a money you can take to the bank. That's a check you can cash. Paul then gives a perspective that I think should be taken into serious consideration. In, in, in second, or 1 Timothy 6-7, he said in, in our text, For we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain that we can carry nothing out. We came in with nothing. We walk out with nothing. I've done my fair share of baby dedications and holding a baby that brought nothing into this world. Nothing. And I've done my fair share of funerals when we have walked out the, this very building behind a casket with the assurance that we take nothing with us from this world. We bring nothing in, we take nothing out. And so if the challenge for all generations is to be focused on the hereafter. What is after this? Not the here and now. This is a blip on the radar. This is just a moment in time. And I'm gonna tell you some of us are far enough down the road to realize that life is moving at a pace that is just dizzying at times. It is here and then it is gone. And what's gonna matter is the hereafter. And so we have to really ask God to put in us and help us with the spirit of, 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 of contentment. The difference, I believe, between having money and having the love of money is very subtle. And so we have to be very, very careful because with prosperity and success comes a certain measure of power and a tendency to be preoccupied with the things that we can see. I'm really tempted to slide out here a little further on this. I'm just trying to weigh the audience right now. But it doesn't take us very long to get spoiled. Because prosperity or success or even the hint of success is something that we could certainly feel ourselves getting accustomed to. I'll move on. We can really get preoccupied with here and now what we can put our hands on. And covetousness can slip into our heart and into our lives and it can rob us of the spirit of contentment. You know, the Bible talks about some things crept in unawares. Brother Upton used to say that anything that crept in is a creep. <laughs> and you need to watch creeps. So if it crept in, we don't need it to be there. And so Job, I believe, demonstrated what a balanced attitude about contentment because when everything was taken away, he did not say this while everything was well. This was not given from a lofty position of all is well because when all is well, you can say some big things. You can say some bold things. But in the midst and the dust of defeat, he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I'm gonna tell you something, that I've been privileged in my lifetime to meet a few Jobs along the way. Not just this one here with a book by his name. But I will tell you that there are men and women in this world today 
that have suffered tremendous loss. But they didn't let that affect whether or not they were going to live for God, love God, be faithful to the house of God, the word of God. Because God gave and God take, has, had taken away. In the, days, in the days of David, king of Israel, he suffered a, a real setback when he went through a, and suffered the, the rebellion of his son Absalom. He fled Jerusalem during that assault, literally running for his life. And there was uh, a, a, an elderly man named Barzillai that helped him. And, and in this moment of duress, a man came to his aid and, and, and sustained him through that season. And later when David was restored back to the throne, he offered to bring this man back to Jerusalem. And he said, in exchange for what you've done for me, I want to look out for you the rest of your life. I want to take care of you. But Barzillai graciously declined saying that I would just rather be here and I want to die in my own city and I want to be buried in the grave of my mother and father. So here, I want you to get this, that given the offer to leave the common ground and come into the opulence of the palace and have the favor of the king. He said, I am content to be right here where I am. I don't need what you have. Thank you, but no thank you. I'm just gonna hang out right here. I'm gonna live out the rest of my days. He was content with who he was, and furthermore, he was content with what he was. In one of his letters penned from prison, by the way, Paul wrote his outlook on life. He said in Philippians 4, not that I speak in regard of need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Then Paul summarizes, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Several statements from this passage of scripture, I believe our need for contentment. Paul said, and we shouldn't lose the phrasing here, I have learned to be content. So this confirms for us that contentment is not something that's instinctive. It is not something that is just gonna be right there on the top shelf, we can just get it. It's just by nature, that's who we are and what we are. So it is not instinctive, it is not something that's, that, that is right there for us, but it is something that we can learn. And so that gives us hope that we can learn to be content. And so Paul seems to have learned this lesson through all of the experiences that he had in his life. And so he said, I know how to be abased. I, I know how to be humbled. <laughs> I, I know how, I know how. So how do you learn how to be humbled? I'll tell you, it's experience. Life has a way of humbling you down. And so lest you think you've got to get on the bandwagon to try to humble somebody, just let go. Because life itself just has a way. You go through things, you face things, you encounter things, you, you survive a few storms and you really learn how to be humble. So he said, I know how to be abased. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he talks about this, that he prayed for God to to deliver him from. But the Lord said, my grace, I'm not gonna deliver you. My grace is sufficient for you. But the thorn in Paul's side was to keep him from being exalted because of the anointing and the revelations that were in his life. And so Paul said, you know what? It brings balance to me. I don't have everything that I need. Everything is not perfect. I would love to be delivered, but God is doing such a mighty work over here. I'm just gonna learn how to be content with a thorn in the flesh. 
If you've had a, ever had a literal thorn in the flesh, then you know that would really be something to make an adjustment to. But he said, I'm willing to do that. And so when things don't work out like we thought they should, and if we can see the hand of God in that, just anywhere, we need to learn how to be content and just say, God, I believe that you're in this. I trust that you're in this. You didn't start me on this journey to leave me. You didn't start me to desert me and, ab and abort the mission. So I am just gonna be content right here. Paul said, I know how to abound. I know how to abound. I know how to prosper. And so how do you learn? Again, that is something that, uh, that comes from experience. So uh, you, if you've been promoted on your job or you've received some new benefit in life, you've got to keep perspective. Have you ever worked on a job and somebody around you got promoted and they didn't keep perspective? So we have to remember this, that seasons of abounding can be just that. It can be a season. And the blessing that came can vaporize just as quickly as it came. And that helps us keep perspective. Just like I was promoted, I can be demoted. Just like I was lifted up, I can be taken down. And so I have to keep perspective that I didn't get here because I'm just so shrewd, I'm just so cool, I'm just so all of that. I'm here by the grace of God. God placed me here, but God can take me out of this position. And so I've got to be very, very careful to keep that in mind. And so in doing so, we can be content in times of plenty and just that same way learn how to be content in times of want. I think that we should pray that our gifts would never take us where our integrity can't keep us. Amen. Pray that your gifts don't take you where your integrity can't sustain you. I've mentioned this a lot. I'm doing it on purpose again tonight. The prayer of Jabez includes several things, but among that, the prayer of Jabez says, enlarge my coast or increase my border. The enlarged border can be influence. So if you increase my coast, increase my border, we can be praying, Lord, increase my influence. And so I do pray that prayer. But I include in that, Lord, and with the increased influence, I ask you to increase my integrity and my character and let them grow in sync. Because a person that has influence without integrity is very dangerous. Very dangerous. I'm gonna ask our musicians to come, but please don't dismiss. Paul learned to be content everywhere and in all things, Philippians 4 and 12. Paul's journeys took him from Jerusalem to Rome and all places in between. So Paul was all over. He spent times in palaces and he spent times in prison. Once in scripture, the record states for us that he was adrift in the ocean for a day and a night. He's been a lot of places, experienced a lot of things. He's drank out of both sides of the cup. He was cursed by some, blessed by others, but somehow in the mix of all the places that Paul went and all the things he experienced, whether he was in a palace or in a prison, in a boat, adrift, being cursed or being praised, he learned how to be content. So if you learn to be content, and again, I want to say that is the, the, to be satisfied in your spirit. That's not mind power. 
just to be satisfied in your spirit. No matter the circumstances, we can be in peace, at peace in all places, in all things, just at peace. Now, Paul did not, to his credit, Paul did not credit his ability to have all of this balance on his exceptional strength or his personality or any of his gifts. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is that? I can be obeyed, I can be lifted, and I can be abased. I can do that with Christ that strengthens me. I can be free or I can be bound. How do I do that? Because Christ has given me the strength to do that. I can be praised or I can be cursed and I can still just keep walking the same path. How? Because it is Christ that gives me the strength to do that. And so he trusted the Lord to strengthen him in all and every circumstance of life. And so there was the strength to suffer in times of suffering and to be blessed in times of blessings. And I believe that the key to contentment is found in our relationship with the Lord. And we have to trust him to be at work in our life. And even when we can't see him, even when we can't feel him, and let the church say amen, because there have been times I couldn't feel the Lord. Amen. I don't know to what degree, and so I'm not going to remotely try to compare myself to Job, but I think I get it when Job said, I looked for him before me and behind me on each side of me, and I couldn't find him. Amen. When I couldn't feel him, when I couldn't see him in my heart, I knew he was there because there was something there in my spirit. I have to trust him. I have to trust that he is at work in my life. Amen. On the campus, I'll ask you to stand tonight. On the campus of Urshan College in St. Louis, and they share the same campus with UGST, is the, a building that is the center for the study of oneness Pentecostalism. This, um, this building is not just a building, but it is a museum that was moved when we moved from the old headquarters building. And um, it is a museum for oneness Pentecostal movement. And it is, it is a place specified to share and preserve history. And so CSOP, as it is known, is the official archive of the United Pentecostal Church International, Urshan College, and Urshan Graduate School of Theology. And several years ago when it was located in the old headquarters building, I went through there. It was a very interesting thing to see a lot of historical artifacts that brought us to where we are today. Many things that are on display now in a larger facility. But among the artifacts that connects us to our past, either is or soon will be, the airplane that was used for decades by missionary Benny DeMerchant. If you're familiar at all with Brother and Sister DeMerchant and their ministry and their missions in Brazil, then you know what I'm talking about. Brother DeMerchant was known not only in Brazil, but certainly all over our fellowship in America and around the world for using that plane to fly into the most remote villages to spread the gospel. 
And that was his ministry. That was his mission, and he gave himself to that. Well, I never had the privilege to really get to know Brother DeMerchant that well. I did meet them before, but I have many friends that have shared and could share countless stories of their times together with them, both here in America, but most often in their work at Brazil. To be sure, I believe that Brother and Sister DeMerchant encapsulate the idea of what I'm trying to convey here tonight. And so, a few days ago, I reached out to one of those friends that I knew knew them well and preached for them often. I contacted Brother Raymond Woodward. And I asked him for just a few more details about this incredible missionary couple. And I want to share with you what he shared with me. He said, sadly, Brother DeMerchant passed away on February the 8th, 2017. But I had the privilege of staying in their humble home in Brazil. Their furnishings were old and worn. And they would have not fetched very much in a yard sale. He said his computer was ancient. His filing cabinets were filled with airplane parts and papers for the church in Brazil. There was absolutely nothing of value in that house except the two wonderful missionaries who lived there. What a line. What a line. He said, once while visiting their mission field, I noticed a small scrap of paper that was taped to the corner of the dresser mirror in the bedroom where I stayed. It quoted the scripture found in Daniel 12 and 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. After her husband's passing, he said, Sister DeMerchant came back to the United States with only seven or eight suitcases. A life's work. Seven or eight suitcases. This was the sum total of their worldly goods. He said some of the seven or eight suitcases contained her old pots and pans that she loved. And they wouldn't have been worth but just a few dollars from Walmart. But they were hers. When I told Brother Woodward why I was asking these questions, I said because I want to teach on contentment He said, you could not have had a more perfect illustration. Now, I just want to pause here for a moment just for a public service announcement. I want to say this about Brother and Sister Merchant, Brother and Sister DeMerchant, and I want to say this about global missions. Because some may have been, may be wondering, or you may wonder later, maybe the reason they didn't have anything is because our missionary support wasn't really getting to them. Or that they were somehow being neglected by our global missions ministry. But I will answer that question by the last line of Brother Woodward and I's conversation. He said, global missions looked after them very well. But they gave everything away. And with that he said, I miss him. I miss him. Godliness with contentment is great gain. 
It's not, Mr. Forbes, he who dies with the most toys win. Because a man and a woman that had very little to their name are going to be so far ahead in that line because they learn how to be lifted up and they learn how to be abased. Amen. Can we let the spirit of contentment touch our heart against the backdrop and the current of a society that says you got to have more, 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 more. Lord, love us. Help us today. Bless us. Strengthen us. God, let your spirit flow in our heart and our minds. In a culture, Lord, that says that the more we have, the better off we are. Help us, Lord, to realize that we really need you at the heart of everything. We really, really need you. I pray, oh God, your presence and your hand will just rest upon us, oh Lord. Help us to not get distracted in the pursuit of things that are not even gonna matter in the end. I pray, oh Lord, your blessings now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.